Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We actually are starting in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, and we'd left off, finished up chapter 11 before I took a little break. And Paul is continuing the defense of his ministry, and in truth, the defense of the credibility of the message that was given by God through Paul. Now, we've talked about it many times. In Corinth, Paul was battling a bunch of false apostles, false teachers, spiritual predators, if you will. And they were kind of a fact. Wherever Paul went, these guys would show up. And that's the truth. For some reason, darkness is attracted to light. And they would show up and seek to distort the message. And one, the problem with that is that the message belongs to God, and so does the messenger, and so do the people who are there to receive it. So ultimately, what we need to see here is that this is not just Paul defending Paul, but God validating Paul as his messenger. And you got to ask yourself, why would God include this defense in the canon of Scripture? Why would this ongoing uh, defense be in there? And I believe it is because God is illustrating the contrast between flesh and spirit. And I talked about this week before last, I guess it was. He's illustrating the contrast between flesh and spirit, the messengers of Satan and the messengers of God. And the text we are looking at today is about this contrast. It is illustrated by the Spirit of God through Paul's defense and ironically through Paul's boasting. So today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And to begin with, I'm going to read that entire text. And the reason I'm going to do that is in order to keep an overview of, this, of the context, because this passage is so rich. And I will tell you, and you'll hear me say this as we go along the way, theologians have a lot of rabbits to chase within this little short section of Scripture, okay? So we're going to try to keep the main thing the main thing here. We could easily spend a lot of time taking the text apart, and a lot of teachers have done that. But we're going to be looking at what is being illustrated here. Now, this letter was not just written to, thing to remember, it was not just written to an ancient people for a specific time. It literally has been preserved throughout the centuries by the hand of God to bring truth to you. Yeah. You, individually, each one of you. Let's look at our text. Chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, It is necessary to boast, though nothing is gained by it. But I will go on to visions and revelations of of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, only God knows, such a man was caught up in up to the third heaven. And I know that such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, only God knows, 
was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak, words too sacred to tell. On behalf of such a man and his experiences, I will boast. But in my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. If I wish to boast, I will not be foolish because I will be speaking the truth. But I will abstain from it so that no one will credit me with more than is justified by what he sees in me or hears from me. Because the, of the surpassing greatness of the, and extraordinary nature of these of the revelations which I received from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me, may dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Amen. In verse 1, Paul's kind of given an apologetic explanation concerning his boasting, because this is kind of a continuation of what we've seen in the previous chapters. And Paul is, is defending himself as a minister of Christ, an apostle of Christ. And as we've seen in his uh, letters and the testimony of his life and ministry, Paul really hated boasting. And he refused to boast in the flesh, and there is a distinction I will make there. That is, he refused to boast according to the flesh. Yet he felt in the light of the corruption that has been spread in Corinth, the Corinthian fellowship, by these false apostles, it was necessary. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that Paul's boasting is not just about defense or just a countermeasure. Paul's boasting was done in obedience to God. We don't think about that. But it's the truth. He is boasting in obedience to God. The Spirit of God moved Paul to defend his ministry for the sake of the Corinthians. This is not Paul responding necessarily just to the false apostles. This is the Spirit of God illustrating through Paul the difference between the witness of truth and the deceit of the flesh. Without the urging of the Spirit of God, it's not likely that Paul would have ever resorted to boasting. It is the Spirit's witness in Paul that brings this about. And I think sometimes when we read the narratives, we think, well, that this happened, so this happened, and then this happened, so this happened, and then this happened, so that happened. And we make it very man-centered. 
very circumstance-oriented. But we have to see life, spiritual life, differently. Because God is the initiator of all things. He allows what he could prevent, and he initiates what he desires. Man makes his plans, but God's will prevails. So when I see that, well, to even in the case of the, of the Son of God, Peter in his, in his Holy Spirit-inspired speech to the Jews at Pentecost told them this, this was foreordained of God, that the Son of Man should suffer and die on the cross. When we see Paul going through difficulties, and he went through a lot of them, more than any other man in, in the Bible, he went through a lot of We've got to look at this instead of saying this is what the Jews did to him, This is what the Gentiles did to him. This is what circumstances brought upon him. We need to see that God allowed these things for Paul for his own purposes and for Paul's blessing. Is that a good one, hard one to swallow? But that's the truth. You're going to see that here in a minute. We can see how Paul is now moved to a as we transition from chapter 11 to chapter 12, he has moved to a different evidence of his anointing, and that is in the area of visions and revelation. Now, we can guess that the reason for this was to respond to similar boasts by the spiritual predators. You might also remember that Paul's salvation and conversion came as he had a vision on the Damascus Road. That's actually in uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 3. I'll read verses 3 through 7. He says, it says, As he traveled, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him were terrified and stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now, this was well known. This was the event that launched Paul's ministry, and he gives testimony to it several times, as others do, throughout Scripture. Not only that, but you will notice I included verse 7 in that little short blurb. The reason is, there were witnesses to this event. Paul was not the only one that went through it. There were witnesses to this event. So this is something that was well known, particularly in the Christian community. We can suppose it is reasonable to believe that the false apostles who were ever trying to imitate Paul had come up with the visions of their own and had sought to discredit Paul's vision and discredit his mission, his calling. Also, since the, the, an encounter with the person of Christ was a prerequisite for apostleship, they would need to question the validity of that encounter, wouldn't they? In order to say that Paul was not an apostle, they would need to say, well, he didn't really encounter Christ, right? Now, it's interesting, and as you read in there, you see that this vision actually happened 14 years earlier. Now, it's supposed that it happened at a time when Paul was in Arabia, 
uh, for about three years after his conversion. But that really is not important. The fact is that he did not even mention this. This is a reveal. Nothing was ever said about this until this point, until this moment. Well, you know what? I think this attests to the obedience of Paul. Because, you know, reality is, I think that what Paul shared with in this vision, what he shared with the Lord was intimate and personal. That whole encounter with God was an intimate, personal encounter. And I don't know if you've ever shared anything like that with, a, with another person, a friend, a loved one, or maybe your spouse. But you certainly wouldn't go out and tell everybody about it unless, of course, you had the permission of the other, would you? Well, I think Paul withheld this because it was personal to him. It was special. Plus, you, you add on to that that Paul was ever standing in humility, ever vigilant to keep down any proclamation of flesh. I think largely because he came out of the pharisaical uh, paradigm where it was all about promoting religious flesh, all about who you are according to the flesh. So Paul didn't say anything about it. And you know, if Paul was about uh, establishing his credibility, if He was about his standing in the flesh. This would have been part of his resume. It would have been requisite to his testimony. You know, every city he went to would be inundated with flyers about Paul's vision and when he went to heaven. But Paul was just about Jesus. He was not about Paul. And not about an identity in the flesh. That's the big difference between him and these false apostles. This vision was an intimate moment that he cherished with the Lord and would not have shared it without the Lord's consent. Now, first distinction that Paul makes in verse 1, and he will remind us of it several times, is that this man he's speaking of is in Christ. Now, I can't emphasize the importance of this distinction enough. It is the context of the whole vision, because it is Paul's identity. He is in Christ, as is every child of God. Then he says that twice, and he says twice that he doesn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. Now, this is where you will find reams of discussion by theologians and commentators speculating on what this means or whether Paul was in the body or not. Well, I'm going to tell you that after extensive study and prayerful consideration, I believe it's irrelevant. Why? Because Paul wants us to know it was inconsequential to the vision. It was inconsequential to the vision. And because of the immaturity of the recipients of the letter, that'd be the Corinthians, he states it twice. He doesn't want any emphasis on the flesh, because that's what the other people are about, number one, but not number one, actually, number two. Number one, because that's not who he is. That's not who he is. He doesn't want any emphasis put on the religious religiosity of his flesh, the orthodoxy of his flesh, the piety of his flesh. He said, I don't know if the body was there or not. In fact, he goes out of his way to say it twice. Because these people would immediately attach the spiritual experience to the body. They would. 
It's the first temptation that hits us to own what God is doing about us as something that we instigated or we helped with. You ever heard people say, you know, I'm there to serve and work for the Lord. Now I know the heart behind that. I'm there to serve and work for the Lord. And they're quick to tell you they're out there serving and working for the Lord. You know, the reality is what you're doing is sharing life with the Lord. There's a big difference. I share life with my wife. I don't serve and just serve and work with her. That would be an arrangement. That would not be an intimate connection. God wants an intimate connection with us. Well, it's not about the flesh. You know, he's not talking about the flesh. He doesn't say, you know, in the same way that Paul doesn't tell us what he was wearing when he had the Damascus Road experience. Do you notice that? You, you can't find any reference to that in there. What was Paul wearing? What did he have on? Was it a sunny day? Was it a cloudy day? We don't know what he had for breakfast that morning. I mean, that could have something to do. What version of the, of the scriptures was he carrying? I don't know. Why not? I will tell you in regard to this verse, the Spirit of God wants you to understand that it is significant, that it is significant that the body was not significant. That's what's important. The man is in Christ. Paul writes in verse 2 that this man who is in Christ was caught up into the third heaven. Again, tons of papers, lots of discussion. How many heavens are there? What is their purpose? What is their order? It's not important. Paul only mentions three, and we can establish those. Uh, The first is atmospheric, heaven. That's what we see where the clouds are and all of that above us, you know. Planes are in the atmospheric heaven. And that, that's uh, what we can see with our eyes. Then there's second, there's the stellar heaven. And you can guess by the name, we're talking planets and stars and things of that nature. Then we have the third heaven, which Paul is referencing, where the throne of God is. It's a spiritual heaven. And Paul writes that this man was caught up, and in the Greek... That word is used to describe being snatched up, literally being seized, without warning, being taken. What does that remind you of? Rapture. Actually, rapture is not a biblical term. It's one that we've adopted. But that is exactly what's being described here. That he was taken up, seized, literally, without warning. And I I don't think Paul, when this happened, was seeking an experience. I don't believe he was praying for God to do something to him. I don't believe he was sitting around saying, Lord, I just want to see you in your heaven. I just want, just praying, you know. He might have had people surrounding him. They're all praying the same thing, you know. No, that didn't happen. I don't believe that. I believe he would, whatever he was doing, he had his focus on the Lord and he was going forward in the ministry of the Lord. And then he was caught up. He was caught up. Now, he continues in, in verse 4. He says, This man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not permitted to speak, words too sacred to tell. Now, the third heaven is named by Paul as paradise. It's the same word that Jesus used in Luke 23 when on the cross he told the, the thief, he said, Today you'll be in paradise with me. Paradise is a word that, ha- that is used many times in Scripture. It's a very interesting word. It's actually of Persian 
origin. It literally means walled garden. That's what the word means. In Hebrew, the word for walled garden is gan. And that is the word that's used to describe the Garden of Eden, a walled garden. Now, when a Persian king wanted to honor someone who was special, someone he loved and cared a great deal about and respected, he would make him a companion of the garden, which gave this person the right to walk in the royal garden with the king in what one commentator describes as a close, intimate companionship. Is that not cool? Now, you know, this is what Paul had in spirit. This is what Paul embraced by faith. This is what God literally lifted him into to know by sight, to experience the companionship, the intimacy. You know, the thing that, that, that I love about this, you know, God knew exactly what all he was going to take Paul through. And Paul, you know, he had a few friends that were with him all the time. He had the ministry of Christ actually being, being uh, manifested through him. So that affirmed the, the truth within him. But I believe the thing that really carried him was the recognition that what he had within him was affirmed by God himself. The experience of being in close communion with him. I'm not just talking about what we, what we feel. I'm talking about Paul was literally lifted up and entered into that communion. Can you imagine? We, we ask ourselves the question, how in the world could Paul go from beating to beating, from persecution to persecution, from shipwreck to shipwreck? How could he go and endure all of these things? And he is the one that says, I do it because I... I consider all of these things rather trivial compared to the surpassing revelation, the surpassing greatness of being his and being intimate with him. And this right here, this is a small footnote in the whole of Paul's ministerial career, but it established for Paul the truth of the Father's heart for him. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't speak about what he saw. He only tells us that he heard words that were both inexpressible and forbidden to repeat. And immediately when I read that, it was brought to my mind, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Turn there, Romans 8, 26 and 27. This came to my mind. And verse 26 and 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need at the right time and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. Verse 27, and he who searches, he is capital H, and he who searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with the will of God. Wow. I kind of think that Paul was privileged to hear that intercession. Now, I can't prove that. Don't uh, go out there and say, you know, Pastor Todd declared. I'm not declaring that, but it makes sense to me. You know, Paul was called to an intimacy. You think he was called to just being 
uh, a minister. You think he was called to just being uh, uh, persecuted, to be a, a uh, martyr for Christ? No, he was literally called to Christ. And, you know, I tell, I tell people that all the time when they come and they say, you know what, Pastor, I think I've been called to the ministry. And I say, you know what, brother or sister, you've been called to Christ. You've been called to him. If he seeks to, to minister through your life, if he seeks to use you in some vocational way in ministry, then that's all fine and good, but it's secondary. Your first calling is him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. It's the same way as we walk in this Christian life by faith. We don't have to wonder or worry about what we're going to do for God. We just go forward in the confidence that we do with God. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.